know their 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 origins he wanted to know their history and even all the way back to the very origin of the universe the creation of the uh, of the heavens and the earth uh, which is what the book of genesis covers so as we went through you know we looked at the beginnings we looked at how god called abraham how god showed his um, his mercy and his uh, his love for people even when they sinned how he always made a way and how that way ultimately would be fulfilled in the person of the lord jesus christ uh, when he came down and died on the cross which is what we remembered this morning and then we saw how the people of israel was in slavery for 400 years which was a prophecy that god made and told abraham when he called him as a nation uh, to and promised to make him a nation and uh, you know they were in slavery for 400 years and then how god redeemed them out of that slavery and then took them on that journey right and we saw in the book of leviticus how god gave them all these rituals and and uh, and how they were to establish a relationship with him we we talked about the 10 commandments and how they they showed the, the you know who god is revealed who god is to the people uh, of israel and then um, you know the they came you come to the book of numbers and the and they're at the border of the promised land they're about to enter but then they fail right they 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 there's failure there and they refuse to go in uh, because they go and they say we are afraid there are giants there and so god makes them wander around in the desert for 40 years as he teaches them and that entire generation is cursed and they die off and then the next generation comes into the promised land and then you know the law is is reviewed again the law is presented again to them as they are about to enter to the promised land in the book of deuteronomy so that's the foundational truths and then we come to the historical books and and what we see in the historical books starting with with Joshua and judges and then going all the way through the kings and Ezra Nehemiah and Esther is the uh, is how these people of the people of Israel they come into the promised land how they live out these foundational truths right and we see where they're successful we see where they fail we see how god deals with that failure and later on we're going to get into the instructional books where we see how god speaks into their history based on those foundational truths and 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 calls them back uh, to those truths when they when they go away and so that's where we are last week uh, charlie spoke about the pre kings period or how uh, the people came in so so i'll just quickly review that and that was uh, what we call the times of the judges right so today you know we're right here at the top uh, in the blue box there on the right you know in the times of the judges and uh, by the way we are not going to hit every book here we're not going to cover every book and i really encourage you i hope this is wetting your appetite okay i encourage all of you to go and look into this you know uh, understand that the book of ruth is set in the times of the judges right now you can go and study that book and see what you can glean from there it's a it's a beautiful book but we don't have you know we don't have time to go into every single one of these and so now we are coming into the green box which is what we call the kings united period right and this is the time of samuel who as we'll see is a bridge to the period of kings but we'll we'll come there in a minute and uh, kevin next slide please uh, we're going to uh, just quickly uh, talk about the times of the judges right and kevin you can just keep going as i talk um, so what what happens here in the times of the judges is that you know the israel captures and settles they cross the uh, the river jordan into jericho they captured jericho and then all the other towns and they settled in the promised land right under the leadership of joshua and by the way you all of you have the outline these uh, the slides will be very close to the outline so you can fill it out 
And thank you, by the way, to uh, Brother Sujay and Tobin, and uh, I think it's Brother Shalu who's translating it into Hindi. Really appreciate the effort that goes into that every week. I know that everybody's blessed by that. So they come into the promised land and they settle under the leadership of Joshua, right? We see this uh, again, if we go back to the book of Judges and chapter two, I'll just quickly read that. You know, verse seven, the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works um, of the Lord, which he had done for Israel, right? But then after the time of Joshua, you know, Charlie called this the gen next of Israel. And I use the same term, next point, please, Kevin. Uh, you know, and, and, and it says here in, uh, in uh, verse 10 onwards of chapter two of Judges, when all that generation had been gathered, that is the generation of Joshua, had been gathered to their fathers, what happened? Another generation arose after them who did not know uh, the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. And they went away from the Lord, right? They, uh, they served the idols. They went after idols. And it says here, if I keep reading, that the children of Israel did evil, verse 11, in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. And this is exactly what the Lord had told them not to do, that they were not to do, you know, mix and mingle with the people and, and, uh, and accept the gods of the people around them. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtoreths and the anger, verse 14, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, so he did certain things, right? So, so we see here that God was angry with them, right? They served these idols. And then what happens next? Uh, the people of Israel, they went through a constant repetition of a cycle that we see here in verse, verse 14. He says, and the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, so he delivered, from, uh, delivered them into the hands of plunderers who despoiled them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity. What a sad thing. As the Lord had said and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were greatly distressed. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges. See, we see the mercy of God operating again and again and again, uh, who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet, they would not listen to their judges. But they played the harlot with other gods and bowed down to them. They turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. And when the Lord did not do so, and, and sorry, and when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed them and harassed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead, and they reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers by following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. They did not cease from their own doings nor from their stubborn way. So we see this rep repeating cycle, right? And uh, and what we find is that, you know, a perfect description of this, uh, this refrain that keeps getting repeated again and again, which is a perfect summary of the time of the judges. And um, next point, Kevin, um, it says in those days, Judges 21, 25, there was no king in Israel. There was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. You know, God was to be their king. You know, he had given them the foundational truths that they were to live. And this means that they were living their lives disobedient to what God had instructed. It was like there was no nobody there, you know, that they were 
uh, that they had allegiance to. There was nobody that they were living in obedience to. And this is uh, this is what uh, the state of affairs was. And 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 the lesson we learned last week uh, from the time of judges was this: that faith is not genetic, right? Faith is not something just because these people had seen. Next point, Kevin uh, had seen what had happened and they had heard all the stories and they had all these rituals like the passover which harkened back to the uh, you know to the um, uh, the deliverance from from egypt you know it didn't mean that they just automatically inherited this it didn't come through their genes right uh, you know and it's not passed on automatically each person must establish himself and herself in the faith and charlie talked uh, beautifully last week about how we had to pass this on to your children uh, and i just want to maybe look at one other angle of it which is that that this fact is true of us you know many of us you know we have grown up in believing homes you know we have grown up doing all the right things we know the the right language and i just want to ask you this morning every one of us is your faith really your own is your faith really your own or is it cultural you know are you just trying to meet expectations of others or are you truly a new creation in Christ Jesus with the Holy Spirit within you? Are you growing in the Lord? Are you learning and being conformed to the image of God's Son? You know, the Lord Jesus Christ said this, okay? It's very sobering words, and I've been thinking about this more and more lately. Uh, you know, he said, wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go by it, because narrow is the gate and Difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. And I'm also reminded of those parables where he says, you know, you're going to come to me in that day, and you're going to say, Lord, 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 and I'm going to say, I did not know you. Go away from me. Let me just tell you, you know, the thing that, that really concerns me today is how many of us who are populating the seats you know, whether virtually or physically in our assemblies are truly saved. You know, we see more and more cases, even recently, you know, a young sister who had has been baptized, has been through all of that and, and truly came to the Lord. I praise God for that. But you've got to be honest with yourself. You did not. You cannot inherit your faith from your parents. You cannot inherit your faith from your heritage. It doesn't matter how you grew up. It has to be real. You have to confront your sin. You have to come to the cross. You have to accept Christ. And you have to have the Holy Spirit living within you. And if that is not your state today, I just want to urge you, you know, to, to come to the cross, to, to really confront whether you are truly in the faith or not. And this is very important because it's fundamental and it's fundamental to everything else that we are going to talk about today. And so with that, let's let's move on and talk about the time of Samuel. So here we are in the time of Samuel. Now, Samuel was the last judge in Israel. Next uh, next point, Kevin, was the last judge in Israel. Uh, and, you know, Samuel was a very special person. OK, I mean, I love the story of Samuel. Um, you know, he was not just a judge, uh, you know, and as a judge, he was sort of like a he was sort of like the king at that time, I guess, uh, in the absence of a, of a formal king. But uh, but he was also a prophet. And he was a priest. We see him making sacrifices, right? And he was the last judge in Israel. And, uh, you know, he anoints Saul as the first king. We'll see that in a little bit here. And then he anoints David to succeed Saul. And we'll look at some of that in the coming weeks. Uh, and, you know, Israel was designed, and this is a time of transition, okay? Because Israel 
was designed to be a theocracy. Now, what is a theocracy? It's a country that's governed by God. It's sort of a religious society with religious laws. And, and um, I hate to use this example because it's a terrible one, but but the, the closest uh, theoc thing we have to a theocracy today is, is, uh, is, say, the country of Iran, which is ruled by you know, the, the Islamic mullahs and, and they follow the Sharia law and all of those kind of things, right? Uh, but, but Israel was something like that. It was a theocracy. You know, God gave them the laws. They were to be governed by the laws. God was their king. And of course, uh, God would send judges and prophets, but he was to be the head, okay? They didn't have a human head as such. But the children of Israel, you know, they wanted a human king, all right? Because that is what the nations around them had. And so they asked for a human king. And this period of Samuel's is, is the one where they sort of transitioned from the theocracy to a monarchy, right? And uh, next point, Kevin. And we see that Samuel, a uh, uh, beautiful story of Samuel uh, that we're going to look at today. Um, you know, and Samuel was conceived rather miraculously to this these, this couple called uh, named uh, the father was Elkanah and the mother was Hannah. And Hannah uh, is uh, the story of Hannah is just so beautiful. And that's where we're going to spend a, a good amount of time this morning as we as we move on in the message. And, and we see that Samuel was given over to the Lord. But I just want to, uh, yeah, just go back, Kevin, stay on that previous slide for a while. Okay, so uh, so I just want to give you a little bit of a background because I think it's it's rather interesting here. So we see the birth of Samuel and, uh, um, you know, and, and if you look at it, uh, we read here about Elkanah uh, in chapter 1, 1 Samuel 1, verse 1, you know, Elkanah, the son of uh, uh, so on and so forth. And he, and he had two wives. Now I know, I know all of you men are thinking, man, it's tough enough to manage one. Why in the world would you have two? Okay, and sure enough, you know, Elkanah found that out for real uh, because uh, because as you see here, you know, he had two wives. One was named Hannah and uh, who's quite well known and the other one not so well known is named Penina. Now here was a problem. Okay, they had a problem in this home. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. You know, Hannah's womb was barren. And it said, this man went up to his city uh, from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Now, Shiloh was a place where after they had come and settled in the land, uh, they put the tabernacle and the ark and everything in this in this place called Shiloh. Uh, and uh, and there was Eli, the priest, and he had two sons. And, um, you know, uh, whenever, verse 4, whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, uh, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion uh, for he loved Anna. Now, here's the other problem is this guy was favorites, okay? He, he was playing favorites with his two wives. Not not a, not a wise thing. Uh, and so what happened, uh, you know, he would give these extra portions um, and, and then, uh, uh, you know, and says in verse 6, and her rival, that is Penina, provoked Hannah severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. Okay, so here we see this, this you know, tension going on within this family. Okay, it's not a very happy situation. It's not a very uh, easy situation. And, um, and you know, and I, actually the most interesting statement that I find here is in, in actually in verse eight, where, where poor Elkanah, you know, he's probably at his wits end. These two wives of his are fighting with each other and provoking each other. And and he comes to Hannah and he's trying his best, you know, and, and this, is, this is typical of men, right? Uh, uh, you know, Elkanah, some of you wives can probably relate to this. Elkanah, her husband said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than 10 sons? Oh boy. 
Uh, I don't think that would have gone over too well. Okay, she would have said, okay, Elkanah, you know, I know you love me. I know you give me the double portions. I'm very happy with the way you, but you are not the same to me as 10 sons or even one son. Okay, um, so so you husbands, please be a little sensitive when you're trying to comfort your wives. Um, but uh, all the humor aside, uh, you know, we see here, uh, you know, that the Lord had closed her womb. And, you know, I was, and this is something, of course, in that culture of the time, uh, you know, it was considered a great curse, okay, to, to have a closed womb. If, if, if you did not have children, it was considered a curse. But, but yeah, and even in our day today, right, it's, uh, maybe we don't think of it as a curse, but, but it's, it's a burden, you know, when you've been married for many years and, and, uh, and you know, recently we've just, yesterday we, we rejoiced with Bobbin and Sharon who after six years of marriage uh, had a beautiful baby boy, you know, and we thank God for that, right? And, and even, even within uh, the, the husband and the wife, there's this yearning to have a child. That's, that's what you get married for, right? And, uh, and they went up to Shiloh every year, but it's important to understand this point here uh, that's repeated twice. Uh, you know, once in verse five, it says the Lord had closed her womb. You know, it is the Lord who opens the womb. It is the Lord who closes the womb. And, and when God puts us in the situation where, where we are to wait on him to open our, uh, the womb, uh, you know, it's not, it's an opportunity for us to really lean on him. It's an opportunity for us to trust him. It's an opportunity for us to, um, to learn something that he's trying to teach us. Right, it is an opportunity to become more uh, conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ as we learn patience. You know, it's not something that we try to solve by running after worldly solutions. And I'm not saying, you know, don't seek medical help if there's a medical issue. That's not my point. But, but you know, rather than going after these aggressive worldly solutions, you know, how much more joyful, how much more better it is if we learn to wait upon the Lord. And then moving on in the story as time is going by. You know, we come to where Hannah, uh, verse 9, Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now, Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. So Hannah comes and, and she's weeping before the Lord here, right? Uh, and she pleads with the Lord and she says, uh, she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant, and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. So she makes a vow to the Lord and says, if you give me a son, you know, I will give him back to you. I will raise him as, you know, this thing about... Uh, about the razor not coming on his head. Uh, that's that's something called the Nazarite vow. You can go back and look at it. Uh, I think it's in the book of Leviticus. Okay, I'm not going to go there today. Uh, but, uh, but what a beautiful picture of taking your burdens to the Lord. Hannah is such a beautiful example of a, of a, of a lady who's, who's grieving, who's weeping, who's being persecuted by her, uh, by this other wife. Um, and she just comes and she just pours her heart out to the Lord. And she had this vibrant relationship with the Lord. And she knew that, 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 um, uh, that her burden could only be answered by God Almighty. What a picture of faithfulness to God in a culture going wrong. Remember, Hannah was living in the time of the judges. Hannah was living in the time where things were, people were, were, were going after the, uh, you know, the heathen gods. And here we have Eli, the priest. And it happened as she continued praying, before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved.
but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. Now I picture Eli as this sort of, you know, old upperchin sitting on his rocking chair. You know, uh, in fact, if you look, go back, go go forward two or three chapters, you see that he was like 90 something years old. Okay. And, um, and in fact, he died when he fell off his chair. Okay. When the ark got uh, taken off. So, so here he is and, 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 uh, you know, he gets himself into a little bit of an embarrassing soup. Here's this woman crying out to the Lord. And he says, uh, he accuses her of being drunk. I mean, that was that was a little embarrassing. And then, you know, Hannah answered very humbly. You know, what a humble woman. Uh, no, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. Verse 15, I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but I've poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your mates of a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, I have spoken until now. You know, do you come to God in the abundance of your grief? You're going through a very difficult time here. You know, do we come and pour out our hearts to the Lord, whether the times are good or the times are difficult? And Eli answered her, go in peace and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him and she said let your maidservant find favor in your sight so the woman went away and ate and her face was no longer sad what a beautiful picture you know her face was no longer sad uh, you know and then we go on the story she conceives and she gives birth to samuel and then she brings him back to the temple and we come back to come down to verse 27 for this child she comes and brings this child after he's been weaned and she says as your verse 26 oh my lord she's talking to eli as a, as your soul lives my lord i am the woman who stood by you here praying to the lord for this child for this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worship the Lord there. Can you imagine how heart-wrenching that was after waiting all these years to have this one child, and the Lord answers your prayer, but you've made this vow. But Hannah willingly comes and gives Samuel, little Samuel, uh, up to the service of the Lord. And, and, and then it goes, they worship the Lord. And then we get into this beautiful, uh, next slide, uh, Kevin, a prayer of praise that Hannah, um, you know, that Hannah uh, gives to the Lord. And that's where I want to spend the next uh, 10 minutes or so. And this is such a beautiful prayer. It's, it's a prayer that, you know, and honestly, you know, uh, I, I'm so glad that I got to teach this lesson because I, I you know, I, uh, this is one of those sort of, you know, it's, it's almost like a tangent, right, to the, to the story. Because I'm one of these guys who, I love the narrative, right? And whenever I've read First Samuel, I'm like, okay, let, let's move on to where God calls Samuel, right? Um, you know, and, and the prayer is sort of there. But, but as I studied this prayer and, and, and imbibed the richness of it, you know, this prayer, it, it's, it's, uh, it's worth studying because it presents us a beautiful theology of God. And it's so apt in this present day. You know, and many of you, many of us are struggling to understand amidst this pandemic. You know, I'm, I'm just reminded of the young man who I, who I did prayer with, uh, you know, this last week, who, who was, uh, you know, as we were just chatting before the, uh, you know, before, before we prayed and he was telling me, and he said, Georgia, I am really struggling. I just don't understand this. I just don't get it. I just don't know how to make sense of this. You know, and, and you know, we didn't have time to get into a big discussion. Uh, but I told him, you know what? I'm glad you're struggling because it's, it's through the struggle that we learn. You know, it's through, it's, it's, you know, the worst thing you can do is just ignore the struggle. The worst thing you can do is not struggle through it. You know, not, not bring up those questions that are in your heart, you know, Assume that, you know, whatever you learn from somebody else is, is the way it is, right? And we look at the, the context of this prayer. 
you know, here is Hannah. Here is a woman who, who, uh, whose desire God has been granted by God after many years and, and not easy years. Those were years of pain. There were years of grief. There were years of persecution. There were years of, of, of just, um, you know, being poked and prodded by this, this other wife, Penina. And, 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 and when we looked, saw her in front of Eli there and saw that grief pouring out before the Lord, um, you know, she was a woman who had experienced all of these experiences in life, just like Paul did, you know, where he could say all of these things I have been through. Right, the shipwreck and the uh, and starvation and and uh, and being left to die. Uh, this was a woman who had been through the 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 throes of the uh, of the the heartaches and the griefs of life. And it's out of that spirit when God has granted the desire of her heart that she comes forth and she pours her her um, uh, her heart out to the Lord in praise. And there are. There are four things I want us to look at here, okay? As I said, please pay attention to this, okay? If you don't pay attention to any other part, uh, please, please do, okay? For the next 10 minutes or so, all right? And, and this is Hannah's prayer, okay? And, 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 she, and she starts off praising God. So the first point is that God is to be praised with all that we have, our heart, our mouth, our strength. Let's look at verse one here. And Hannah prayed and said, my heart rejoices in the Lord, my horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. You know, Hannah is going to praise God with absolutely everything that she has. The call to praise. She's issuing a call to praise here. And she says, I, I will rejoice in your salvation. You know, praise has to be accompanied by rejoicing. And, and this... Um, this prayer has a beautiful parallel in the uh, prayer of Mary. You know, when she goes to see her cousin Elizabeth, it's called, known, you know, quite famously as Mary's Magnificat. I encourage you to go read it here. It was a thousand years after Hannah, uh, but they're almost parallel. And, and Mary says this in Luke 146. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My soul declares the greatness of the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. You know, let me just take a pause there and, and tell you this. You know, there is no greater thing for which to glorify God than his salvation. You know, it seals our eternal fate. No matter what happens to us on this earth, whether it's illness, whether it's poverty, whether it's death, our eternity is secure. When we leave this life, we are going to be rejoicing in the presence of God. And that's why all these wonderful prayers start off with a call to rejoice in the God of our salvation. You know, let me just read Ephesians chapter one. Okay, I, this, is, this is always worth reminding ourselves. Okay, and uh, you know, we had a little group study the other day and we were reminded, we were reminding ourselves of all the things we have in Christ. And I'm just gonna read this and please listen. Okay, uh, verse three, Ephesians one verse, uh, verse 2 onwards, grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is who you are. This is who I am. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved, in him, 
in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth uh, in him, in him all. Also, we have obtained an inheritance. We have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of of his glory. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. I will rejoice in your salvation. Your, our understanding of God needs to begin with the acknowledgement of him as our savior. There is no greater thing that God can do for you. It doesn't matter what struggle you have in life, what the greatest thing that he can do for you, he has already done. And when we approach him, we need to approach him with that real, that realism, the, the, the reality of that truth, that we are his. All of those things I read in Ephesians 1, it is ours. It is guaranteed. It is sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. The first point we get from Hannah's prayer is God is to be praised with all we have. And I'm not talking about praising him. I'm talking about the way we live our lives. It needs to be a life of praise with our hearts, with our mouths, with our strength. Let's move on. The next point is that God is to be praised for who he is. Let's read verses um, 2 and 3. Uh, no one is holy, Hannah's prayer, chapter 2 of 1 Samuel. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. Okay, what is she saying here? She's saying, who is this God? You know, I'm going to praise God for who he is. He is the Holy One. He is the rock. He is the God of justice. You know, by him actions are weighed. He is the God of knowledge. Praise God for who he is. Who is he? He is the holy God. He is a rock. Okay, he is the source of our protection. He is unlike any other. He is the all-knowing, omniscient God. He is the judge and the author of justice. By him, actions are weighed, Hannah says here in her prayer. You know, Deuteronomy 32, 4 says, The rock, his work is perfect. All his ways are justice, God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. You know, let us not, it says, it says here, um, let no arrogance come from your mouth. You know, are you and I sometimes arrogant toward God? Let us not be arrogant toward this God. Let us not set ourselves or anything else above this God. You know, and this is such a beautiful reaffirmation of that first commandment and a reaffirmation of the Shema that we studied a couple of weeks ago. There is only one God. I cannot have another God. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. And what should be our response? Our response should be to love the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our strength. Dear brother, dear sister, do you love him like that? 
does your life reflect praise of this god for who he is you know that's where we need to start let's not let's not worry about what's going on in my life today let's remember that he has saved me let's remember that he has guaranteed my salvation and then let's look at who he is and praise him for who he is and then hannah goes on and this is again if you're going to pay attention to this prayer just this one part please pay attention this is the most important one okay next point god is to be praised because he is sovereign and he does as he pleases because everything belongs to him this is a tough one okay let's read verses 4 to 8 the bows of the mighty men are broken and those who stumbled are girded with strength those who are full have hired themselves out for bread and the hungry have ceased to hunger even the barren has born seven and she who has many children has become feeble the lord kills and makes alive he brings down to the grave and brings up the lord makes poor and he makes rich he brings low and he lifts up he raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory okay let's stop there you know what what's hannah saying here you know hannah is saying that god chooses to bless some and he chooses to curse some now that might be a tough thing to stomach and he says god she says god reverses the fortune of people as he wills look at this you know in in verse 4 the bows of the mighty men are broken and those who stumbled are girded with strength the bows of the mighty are broken those who stumbled are given strength okay keep going those who are full have hired themselves out for bread those who are full are now hungry and the hungry have ceased to hunger right the barren womb has born seven and she who had many children has become afflicted some are killed the lord kills and he makes alive some become poor and others are made rich some are made low and humbled others are lifted up and the poor he lifts up and exalts all of these things all of these things happen under god's sovereign control even death even suffering even covid-19 even all that we see around us today that's grieving our hearts as it should god is always in control of all that is happening to us and around us and what is it that allows god to do this who who is this who is this god who is this god that he can decide to just take the uh, you know the strong person and make him weak who is this person this god that that, that he can just kill and make alive that he can decide who's going to die and who's going to uh, be alive we see that in verse 8 uh, the latter part for the pillars of the earth are the lords and he has set the world upon them what allows god to do this because everything and everyone belongs to him he is the creator god the pillars of the earth the foundations of the earth are, are, are under his control they belong to him he is the king he is in control you know the the sovereignty of god even in the face of evil and suffering is something so hard to stomach it's so tough for us to take and that's what people are struggling with you know why because you see in our subconscious expectation you know god should only do good and good as per my definition of good as per our definition of good provide what we want give healing when we ask 
keep us from being infected with COVID. You know, I, I you know, I follow, you know, in these prayer groups, sometimes I read the messages, okay? And I know everybody means well. Uh, you know, somebody gets, somebody is cured, somebody is well, or George and got well. Oh, Jehovah Rapha, our healer. But of course he's Jehovah Rapha and he is our healer. But is he the healer only when he heals as we want? What about when he doesn't heal? Is he still Jehovah Rapha? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What happens if we don't get to, you know, you know the, the fact is we don't get to define what is good. The truth is God is good all the time because by nature he is good. And what that means is that whatever he sovereignly allows is good for us by definition. Even suffering, even pain, and even death. And God is using all the pain and the suffering and the death and the effects of sin to mysteriously accomplish his greater purpose. And, you know, we've been studying that. We studied the story of Joseph and you go throughout scripture, okay? Where when we, Jerry read this morning that Paul uh, Paul was called to, to be a light to the Gentiles. And you know what, what he told Paul earlier when Ananias went to see him after uh, he was saved on the Damascus Road? He says, he says, I'm going to show him how much he is going to have to suffer for my sake. Yes, he was sent as a light to the Gentiles, to bring light to the Gentiles. But in the process, he had to suffer God is using all of these things. You know, we, we don't know how, but, but when you look at the God of the Bible and the way he operates and all those plagues and, and how he's, he, he spared the children of Israel, uh, you know, through the evil done to Joseph, you know, that needs to grip us. That needs to impact the way we think about what is going on around us. And if it doesn't, then, then what's the point? What is our attitude to death? Do we believe uh, that for a saint, it is precious when a saint dies. It says precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Are we prepared for God to take us today? You know, it's not an excuse for fatalism. Okay, It doesn't mean that I go around and, and mingle with everybody with COVID saying, oh, well, God is in control. That, that's not what we're talking about. You know, that's, that's irresponsible. You know, as long as we are alive and God decides when we're going to go. Okay, his, our days are numbered. He knows exactly there's a right time and he won't take us before and he won't take us after on that day. Right? You know, could God have taken me two weeks ago? Of course he could have. Am I prepared for that? And I'm sorry to use this example because I know my kids are there, uh, you know, but, but the Lord is leading me to say this. Okay, this morning the Holy Spirit is really, really leading me to say this. You know, why did, why did God take that brother, you know, that, that brother who I, I didn't know him, but I've read so much about him, Brother Johnson uh, in Delhi. Why did, he, why did he take him and why did he spare me? Because his work was done. He served the Lord every single day. And I've read so much about how despite his illnesses, he was always joyful in the Lord. And I know, I know it brings grief. It brings grief to our families and, and struggles and all that. But that's part of the experience of life through which God is, 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 is teaching us. And as we look back, those of us who've been through these experiences, and we look back and we see how God has led us, you know, that just strengthens our faith. It gives us the strength to face anything that comes our way. You know, God has already blessed us with the greatest gift possible, the gift of salvation through his son which secures our eternal future. We don't need anything else. I don't need another day on this earth. 
I want to be in his presence, as Paul said. You know, for me, uh, to, to die is Christ. Sorry, to, to, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he says, if I, if I remain, it's so that I can serve you because you need me here. But I would rather be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our eternal future is secure and we should not expect anything more. You know, if he gives us more, praise him. But if he does not, we ought to still praise him. That's what Hannah was doing here. That's the thought that Hannah, going through the experiences that she went through, she came to this realization that God is sovereign and he does as he pleases because everything belongs to him. Let's move on to the last point here. God is to be praised because he blesses his faithful ones and punishes the wicked. 1 Samuel 2 verse 9, 10. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. For from heaven he will thunder against him. Now, God is not capricious, okay? Uh, you know, maybe sometimes it feels like it, um, you know, that way to us that, you know, why does he let this person live and that person? You know, you know, we should, the only deaths that we should grieve, okay, the death that we should grieve is the death of the unsaved, okay, because we know where they're going. And it should prompt us to go and, 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 and share the gospel with them, you know? Um, you know, but God is not capricious. Maybe sometimes it feels that way, but that is because we don't know the big picture. We don't know what his greater plans are. The word of God is clear. He blesses his saints. He says that. Okay. So how do you take this? You know, the way we usually do it is that, oh, well, if he doesn't do what I want, that means he's not blessing me. No, whatever he allows in your life, it is a blessing. Whatever he allows in your life is a blessing. Sickness is a blessing. Poverty is a blessing. Not having money is a blessing. Because it says here, he will guard the feet of his saints. Every moment he is guarding your feet and my feet. The word saints there is the word hesed. Okay, it's a word that's very difficult to translate. It means faithfulness, faithful ones, godly ones, some of the translations say, or faithful servant. Let me ask you, you know, are you a faithful servant? Are you being a faithful servant just as God is faithful? And the last point on this prayer is that, you know, God is faithful and steadfast, loyal to his covenant promises. Are we faithful to him? You know, faithfulness of loyalty or loyalty, the word has said here, uh, it's speaking of faithfulness or loyalty that exists within a relationship. And it's used in scripture mostly of God. It speaks of unconditional love. God has entered into a relationship with you and me, his people. He has entered into a covenant. And within the context of this covenant, he has promised, I will be your God and do all that that entails. That means I will be your rock. It means that I will be your deliverer. It means that I will be your sanctifier. It means that I will be your savior. It means that I will be your protector. These are all the things that I, God, the faithful God, the covenant-keeping God, commit myself to do within the context of my covenant relationship with you. And just as God is Hesed, we are called to be Hesed in this covenant relationship. Love him with all our hearts and all our soul and all our strength. Let me ask you this. Are you Hesed in your covenant relationship with God? Now, I want to leave this thought with you from this prayer, beautiful prayer of Hannah. You know, what is your view and attitude toward God? Do you believe that God is good all the time? 
How has the current pandemic impacted your view of God? What can you learn from Hannah's prayer to help you deal with your struggle in this area? You know, Hannah's prayer, what a beautiful theological treatise coming from the lips of this humble woman on who God is and how he operates and how we ought to respond to him. You know, many of us live in fear. Okay, we live in fear of death, things going wrong, not having enough. You know, some people, uh, let me say, I'm getting a COVID test. Please pray that it's negative. Okay, I mean, you know, I hope that if you really are COVID positive, that you would want it to come out positive. I mean, we're, we're living in fear. You know, fear of not having enough money, fear of not being able to retire rich, uh, you know, uh, you know and, and, and we live in fear. But you know what? If we have the right view of God, we can have freedom, freedom from living in fear. If we truly believe and internalize the concept of the sovereignty of God, I can tell you it is so liberating. It is so liberating to know that I can go through and face whatever comes my way with no fear, knowing that God has it under control, knowing that even if he calls me through, that he takes me away, that he will take care of my children, he will take care of my family, and that's what his perfect will is for me. It's the most liberating thing in the world. I can tell you, I've experienced this. You know, and there are times when I slip back and I got to remind myself and bring, bring myself back into that, that liberation. You know, even, even some of the most prayerful people, some of the most pious people, they live in fear. Pious Christians, they live in fear. God has not called us to a spirit of fear, but of love and a sound mind. Dear brother, dear sister, what is your view of God? What is your view of God? Let's move on very quickly. I'm not going to spend time on the rest of the message, but uh, much time. So then from then on, you know, we see this beautiful prayer of Hannah, which, 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 which gives us this sort of, uh, this sort of uh, undergirding foundation of who God is. And then we come to the children of Israel, you know, and they're like just, you know, completely messed up. Okay, here's a here's a, a woman, you know, who's who's figured out who God is, who's understood who God is, who's, who's praising God the way He ought to be praised. And then we have on the other side, you know, a bunch of people who are totally messed up, you know, and they come to Samuel in chapter eight. Uh, and please go read this in your time, in your own time, uh, you know. And they say, you know what, you know, your sons are messed up. You know, we don't like this thing the way it's going. You know, we want a king. Okay. Uh, so uh, Kevin, go on to the next one. Yeah. So they ask for a king who will rule them like the nation. They want to be like the people around them. You know, how, how often, you know, uh, that reflects our own thinking, right? We want to be like the people around us. We don't want to be different. You know, we want what they have. We want to live like they live. We want to enjoy life like they enjoy life. We want everybody to know that we are having a great and wonderful life, you know, out here according to the worldly measure. And what were they doing here? You know, and God says in verse 7, chapter 8, verse 7, and the Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. You know, who were they rejecting? They were rejecting God. Okay, in asking for a king, the children of Israel were rejecting God as their king. God had created this nation. God had brought them out of Egypt. God had fought for them. God had given them the promised land. God had brought down those walls of Jericho. He had called them to be a special people. If you go back to Exodus 19, you can read, you know, he says, you are a, a special people, uh, uh, you know, a, a royal priesthood, kings. 
So by asking for a king, they were rejecting the kingship of God. And that's the, what God has done for us. Go read 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 9 to 12. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a special people. You know, are we by our attitude and our actions asking for another king to replace God in our lives? That's what the children of Israel did. And then, you know, Saul is uh, anointed as a king. Now, Saul starts off well. You know, go read First Samuel 11. We see a wonderful story of Saul being victorious over, over the king of Amalek. And um, he starts off well, but he ends in failure. You know, and, and in First Samuel 15 and verse 26, uh, you know, all of you know the story of Saul, so I'm not dwelling on it. Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord. And the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. So how does God measure success? Next point, Kevin. How does God measure success? Okay, God measures success by whether we are faithful and obedient to his word. Saul failed because he was not faithful to the word of God. God told him to, to, to destroy Amalek and he didn't. God had said that he was not to make a sacrifice and he did. The Israelites could never, you know, the, 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 the sad thing about the Israelites is when we, as we go through the next few lessons, you'll see this. The Israelites could never as a people live in obedience to God. They repeatedly failed. They were individuals who were there. Of course, there were individuals there who were faithful to God, like David and Joshua and Hannah, who we just read about. But as a people, they always failed and they faced judgment and captivity and exile and punishment. Despite the mercy of God and God restoring them back, they just went back to the old ways. You know, and, and that's a difference. Next, next slide, Kevin. Uh, that's a difference between them and us. You know, we are in the new covenant. God is still the king in the new covenant. But in the new covenant, let me, let me uh, uh, just go through this quickly. God has given us his Holy Spirit who empowers you and me. He empowers us to live in obedience to God. This is the difference between, between us and the children of Israel. This is the difference that allows us, you know, to, to do better than them. You know, we have God's Holy Spirit in dwelling in us. If you are truly saved, go back to the first point I made. You know, faith is not genetic. All right. He empowers us to obey him and keep the Holy Spirit empowers us to obey God and to keep God as our king. You know, what does God want of us? Go to first John 2 15. I'm not going to read it here. You know that you are not we are not to love the, the world for the world, the world, the lust of the uh, of the flesh and the pride of life and all of these things. But we are to do the will of God. We are to do the will of the sovereign God. You know, God has given you and me the power to serve him. He has given you and me the power to understand him better. He has given you and me the power to overcome, to, to live through the, the, the sin-ravaged um, impact that we see around us. He has, he has equipped us to bring hope to the hopeless. He has given us the, the ability to be free from fear, from the things that the world fears, and yet we are so beset by fear. Is that because somebody else is the king of our life? You know, I just want to close with this point and leave you to ponder. Okay, it's there in your sheet. You can, you can, you can, you can write your answers, you know. Is God truly the king of your life? Is God having to compete for the kingship of your life? Do you truly understand God? Do you appreciate him? Is your life a life of praise to God for all those reasons that we talked about? You know, are we praising him for his salvation? Are we satisfied with our salvation? 
you know, or are we are we wanting more? You know, God is to be praised with all that we have. God is to be praised for who he is. God is to be praised because he is sovereign and does as he pleases because everything belongs to him. God is to be praised because he blesses his saints, his faithful ones and punishes the wicked. May God enable all of us to be a hesed in our covenant relationship with God, faithful ones, faithful to the word of God, faithful in service to God, faithful in proclaiming uh, the truths of God to a world that needs it. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for who you are. We want to thank you, Father, for speaking to us this morning. Lord, And uh, Lord, these are tough times, Father. Lord, these are times when even the strongest, Lord, uh, is shaken. Lord, but we, we read all the Psalms. We know, Lord, that this is, this is normal. We read all the, the, the Psalms of the Psalmist, Lord, where the Psalmist is asking, where are you, O God? But we also thank you, Lord, that that same Psalmist then sees you, Lord. He sees you through the fog of life. And he can say, the Lord is seated on his throne. And Lord, we know that you are on your throne today, even as we see all of this stuff going on around us. Even as we are beset by fear, you are on the throne. Lord, we just pray that you will, you will just help us, Lord, to grasp. Lord, Lord, your sovereignty is not something academic, Lord. It is not just an item of theology, Lord. It needs to infuse, be infused into our thinking, Lord, into our lives, Father. May it drive our thoughts, Father. And may we look to you, Father. And may we live in freedom from fear. Knowing, Father, that if we are to go tomorrow, we are going to be in the presence of the Lord. Just as many of our brothers and sisters have gone before us, rejoicing. For there is no better place to be than in the presence of the Lord. Lord, we just want to pray at this time, Lord. We want to pray, Lord, for the masses that are dying and going to an eternity different than what we have. Lord, reach out to them, Father. Have mercy upon them, Lord. Rescue them so that they may hear the gospel, Father. Thank you, Father, for speaking to us. We thank you for the prayer of Hannah, Lord. We thank you for your scriptures. We thank you that they are alive and, and sharper than a two-edged sword. We pray that it would cut to our hearts, Lord, and that it would produce change in our lives. We just give you all glory and praise, Father. Ask these things in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.